Pastor Xavier Reese explains the simple truth of God's formula for marriage is two becoming one. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female, teaching monogamy. One man, one woman. Not two women, three, four, five men, but one. God's intention is for you to commit your life to one person, a commitment, a oneness. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. All too often, couples are all too eager to say, I do, at the altar. But when the proverbial honeymoon is over, find it much too easy to say, I don't, when the rough spots come. Pastor Xavier discusses what the Bible has to say about what's at the heart of the institution of marriage versus the hard-heartedness of two that God has made one flesh. He begins with the text for an important simple truth study for everyone, either married or considering marriage. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. We want to look at what Jesus says about marriage and divorce. Now, there were two schools of thought during this time when they were talking to Jesus. There was a school of Hillel and a school of Shammai. Rabbi Hillel was the liberal. He taught that a man could put away his wife for every cause. If you take the parallel passage of Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, the Pharisees, when they came to Jesus, they asked him exactly that. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce or put away his wife for every cause? What were they referring to? They were referring to Deuteronomy 24 and to the interpretation of Hillel. He said, if your wife burns your bagels, you can divorce her. If your wife talks to another man in the street, you can divorce her. Then there was the school of Shammai. He was the conservative. He said, there is only one reason for you to have scriptural grounds for divorce after marriage. He said that was adultery. Jesus confirms and affirms this in Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Except for the cause of sexual sin. You have no grounds for divorce. Very clear, very powerful, very shocking words to both the disciples and the Pharisees. If you are married this morning, whether you are married to a non-believer or a believer, God honors the institution of marriage and he expects you to be committed to it. If you came to the Lord after you were married, then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, you stay married to that non-believer. Love him. Pray for him or her. Maybe they'll come to Christ. But you're not to leave the person just because they are non-believers. Now, let me give you a footnote. There are other situations that must be dealt with individually that may be impossible for you to remain married with the individual when these two things have not taken place. Example, supposing your husband is a drug addict. You don't know whose needles he's using, what's going on, and you can be contacted with AIDS or whatever it is. That it would be impossible for you to remain with him because of the danger to you. 
If a man was to torment you physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually, to the point where you're losing your mind, that would have to be looked at individually. The whole thing behind situations like that is only you can determine how long to hang in there. Don't look to me or a pastor or anybody else to tell you when to cut them loose. And so we're looking around just like the Pharisees. We come up with, a, well, is it lawful for me? What does the Word of God say? It's clear. It's to the point. You go to God. So it was a concession that they pointed to. But it wasn't God's ideal. Now in verse 5, the reason for the concession is given by Jesus. They thought it was a command. They thought it was their obligation. Why? Because it benefited them. How quick we are to obey the word of God when it benefits us, huh? And how quick we are to turn the scriptures and call up the Father uh, to find a loophole in it. The church today and the professional counselor has become like the rabbi. You have a problem? You can't see your way out? Call the rabbi. He'll find the loophole. And I see that in the church of Jesus Christ today. Verse 5. He answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. <laughs> Wipe them out. Total wipeout. Hardness of heart, a stiffening of the inner man to obey, to yield to the purpose and the will of God. What is he saying? He's saying because you're looking at marriage simply for self-centered reasons and selfish reasons. And it's not returning to you what you feel you should get. So therefore, your heart is hard. And God can't work in you and through you. But how quick we want to point the blame to our mate. Well, it's him. It's her. No, it's you. They may, they have their part of it, but it's you, your heart. It's hard. It's funny, the same sun that will melt wax will harden clay. You ever work cement, you know you want to get into it while it's still wet so you can shape it and mold it. Once it's set, nothing you can do about it. You got to break it out and start all over again. The hardness of heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, and 19, it's from the heart that proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, adulteries. The problem is our heart. That's what the problem is. And in a society that is so tolerant today, even within the church of Jesus Christ, it is very appealing, enticing to opt out, to take permissiveness, allowance, rather than the perfect will of God. Unforgiving spirit resulting in bitterness and resentment. And yet, the standard in Colossians says, even as Christ has forgiven you, so forgive one another. Let me ask you one thing. When you came to Jesus Christ, how many of your sins did he forgive you? My Bible says all of them. And he says that he buried them in the deepest ocean and he put a sign there, no fishing. Has God ever mentioned one of your sins of the past? Why hasn't he? Because he forgave you. Is God's hard heart towards you? 
Nope. Why? Because there was genuine repentance. When there is genuine repentance in a marriage when adultery has taken place, there should be a, an attempt for genuine reconciliation. That's the first step. The allowance to divorce because of adultery is not a command. You have a scriptural base. But I can point to you numbers of people who have taken that option and in the years to follow regret that they did and they didn't reconcile it because the second marriage didn't work out any better. It's always best and easier to clean your home than to go build a new one. It's always best. Always best. But you, you and I aren't able to do that. We can only do that through the love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because basically we have a hard heart. And so what God is saying is marriage is an institution by God and, and it's made up of three people. The bride, the groom, and Jesus Christ. And you try to make marriage work without Jesus Christ and you might as well forget it. And you have to keep your hearts fresh and tender towards each other. And when things happen, you have to confront one another, repent and forgive and move on. Lest you live in a home that is miserable and always looking back. And the whole family suffers. It's not what God intended. And so the reason is hardness of heart. Why are there so many divorces today in the church? Hardness of heart. And so people get divorced, they pick up and they go to another church and they think that settles it. No, you're still running from God. It doesn't change. You're looking out for yourself. Not for the other member. You see, the problem is the problem of the heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, in verses 6 through 9, the response of Jesus was to the original design. He takes them back further. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female, verse 6 says. First of all, he says, God made them male and female from the beginning, teaching monogamy. One man, one woman. Not two women, three, four, five men, but one. God's intention is for you to commit your life to one person. It's interesting, no matter how many boyfriends or girlfriends you had before you were married, isn't the relationship of husband and wife so much different? Even if you live with somebody, marriage is a whole different ball game. And that's what God intended. A commitment. A oneness. Secondly, in verse 7, he says, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Verse 7 says God made them male and female to experience the closest relationship. He goes back to Genesis 2.24. Back to Genesis 1.27. You've picked up the closest relationship. You've established a new home order. The husband being the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That does not imply inferiority to the woman. Because God says that he made the woman for the man. 
Sorry, women, but that's just the way it is. And I can't apologize for God's statement. The woman was made for man, but she's not just a sex object. She's not just a maid. She's my completion. I am not complete without my wife. Therefore, I hold her in great value. That's the view of Scripture. The word join means to glue so closely. It's like putting two pieces of wood together with glue. You can separate them, but when you do, they're splinters one from the other. There is never a clean divorce. We would like to think it. We hear it all the time. Oh, well, you know, me and my wife, we have a good understanding. We communicate. The children are fine, and, you know, they spend the summer here with her. They spend the... That's clean? That's like saying you can have a clean explosion. No such thing. There is never a clean break when divorce is involved. Because there's a lot more at stake than just feelings. God's institution is at stake. And when God's institution of marriage is at stake, society is in danger. The reason our society is so messed up is because we have so many messed up homes. Carnal, disobedient, self-centered. Now I understand some of you have been married. And you have to look at your life, how you fit in here. You have to argue with Jesus, not with me. If it was up to me, I'd probably broaden it. But I can't. But look at thirdly in verse 8. God made them male and female for completeness and cohabitation. It's not good that man should dwell alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. The two shall become one flesh. The oneness speaks of marriage. We are one. But then it speaks of also physical union. But what makes you one in the divine institution is not the sex. It's the commitment to the divine institution. For when the minister pronounced them husband and wife, he isn't there in the honeymoon suite. They become husband and wife right there before God. And then the sexual union is the consummation of that commitment. So you might have been joined with somebody sexually prior to marriage. That did not make you committed to them in the institution of marriage. For even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that if you join your members to a harlot, you are one body? So the sexual union makes one flesh, but the greater flesh that makes you one is a commitment to the institution of marriage. You pledge your life to death do me part, for better or for worse. Sickness, health, all of that. I don't think people listen to what they say at the altar. If they understood it, they might say no. What they're saying is, I promise to be a type of Christ, and if I have to, I will die for my bride every day of my life. And if I have to go to the cross, I will do that. Maybe we should give those vows out and see the face of the groom. <laughs> see what he would say. He'd say, you're crazy, not on your mind. See you later. And that would be good. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate, verse 9 says. God made them male and female and joined them in God's divine institution, and no man can dissolve it. Underline that. You can go get a divorce paper. You can say, I've been divorced. But if you 
do not have adulterous grounds or an unbeliever abandoning you or an exceptional case as I gave earlier, then you have caused your mate to commit adultery and you have committed adultery. And you need to repent. That's what my Bible says. Now the disciples asked Jesus the very same question on divorce. Interesting that he gives to them a very clear and very to the point guideline. No explanations, no exceptions. He says, and in the house his disciples asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. How much clearer can I make it? First, Jesus said, the man who divorces his wife apart from adultery commits adultery against her. Very clear. And God holds that man responsible for committing adultery against her and causing her to commit adultery. Secondly, Jesus said, if a woman does the same thing, she is guilty of the same crime. Mark is the only one who tells us that the woman can divorce here. Why? Because Mark is writing to a Roman audience. It was common in Rome for a woman to divorce also. In the Jewish society, a woman could not divorce her husband. Nowhere in the law do you see that. There were only few provisions for the woman to divorce her husband. Are you ready? Here they are. Only if he was a leper, insane, if he had an unclean trade like a tanner or a man who skinned animals, if he had seduced a virgin, if he had accused her of not being a virgin on the honeymoon night and then he was found to lie, then he could never divorce her no matter what she ever did, the law said. Interesting. That's the only reason she would have to divorce him. But remember and make sure you understand that all of these things, even the concession, was not a command. God says to you this morning, I don't know where your marriage is. I don't know where you're coming from. But God says to you, if you're married right now, you hang in there because you are there together till you die. And if you both have an open heart to God, if you're both born again, then I don't care what has happened. God says he has made you a new creature. And if you have genuinely repented, God has forgiven you and you need to forgive one another and you need to look forward and look at your eyes on Jesus and let God build your home. Unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. You'll have to go through some difficult times. But when you get done, your marriage will be richer, you will have substance, and you will be a doer of the Word of God. And when you minister to others, you'll be ministering from experience and obedience and not simply from an intellectual standpoint. But if you think you'll have it better with somebody else, good luck. You're going to need it. It's not going to happen. And yet how often Christians are being divorced today. It's heavy. Unless adultery has happened, unless a non-believer abandons you, there is no other clear scriptural reason for divorce. And you need to look at your life. You need to lift your heart to God. 
and you need to get things in order. What did Jesus tell us about marriage? First, that marriage is a divine institution sanctified by God. He honors it whether you are a believer or not. And he holds you responsible for it. Read Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament. I hate divorce. He says, you guys are coming to the altar crying and, and telling, oh, Lord, I love you. And yet, you're dealing treacherous with the wife of your youth. You're hypocrites. You're liars, he says. So God honors the institution of marriage, whether you're a believer or non-believer, and he holds you responsible to it. Secondly, adultery and abandonment are the only clear scriptural reasons for you to be released. But hopefully you don't take that option. Hopefully you wait on the Lord and you can reconcile and mend that relationship because that's always the best case. Unless there is a repeated sexual sin against you, then you are the only one that can know how long to hang in there. Don't look to the pastor. Don't look to anybody else. Just have them pray for you and you seek God. Thirdly, a divorce paper does not make it legal before God unless that bond has been broken by sexual union. And fourth, think twice before you enter marriage for it is for your life and the length of your life. Remember the warning there in Deuteronomy 24 was to cause the man to think. Now think, you let her go, you give her that bill, she marries somebody else. Even if he dies and you still haven't remarried, you can't take her back. Think about what you're losing. Too many men and women are not thinking what they're losing today in the church. And they regret it down the line because they have opted out for the permissiveness rather than obedience to the word of God. Work out the difficulties. Trust God. Die to self. Humble yourself. Put your pride aside. And give something of substance to the community around you. That when everybody's allowed to do whatever they want without even any conviction or shame, you choose to do the thing that is honorable to God and the thing that is honorable to your mate when there is genuine repentance. That is God's word. I cannot give you anything else. And so I pray that God would deal with us as a body. And that we would give a tremendous picture to the community of what marriage is all about. And that the standard is very clear and to the point. And there is no room for ignorance or excuses. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you sit under the teaching of the Word of God. And God will hold each of us responsible how we act in accordance to that Word. Some of your marriages are on the rocks. You need to lift your heart to God. I mean, you see no hope in your marriage because you don't have your eyes on Jesus. Others of you say, well, you don't understand, X, what, what's happened. It doesn't make any difference. God has forgiven you. You need to forgive one another when there's true repentance and go forward. And those of you who are single up there, you better think twice before you get married. Because once you enter in, you're in. You can always say yes. You can't always say no. 
and you need to say no to divorce and yes to God that he work in your marriage. Pastor Xavier Reese using the teaching of Jesus about marriage from Mark chapter 9 in offering important simple truths for safeguarding the relationship between man and wife. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truths message titled, What About Marriage and Divorce?, are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply, What About Marriage and Divorce?, or just mention today's date. Now, you can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 